Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Folks and Friends, a podcast by Folks Finance. Here, we invite the brightest builders, creators, and thought leaders to talk blockchain, tech, finance, and everything in between. I'm your host, Ibu Karel. Let's learn something together. Assets discussed on Folks and Friends may be held by participants of the podcast. This podcast is purely educational and not intended as advice. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Folks and Friends. This is episode 10, and today we have James Bailey, Chief Product Officer of Subquery Network. He is calling in from the Subquery account. Super excited to have him here and talk about indexing and what they're building over there, as well as some of the other things that he's worked on. And then we'll get into some general uh, crypto topics. Um, James, how are you today? Well, first of all, uh, I'm Ibu Carell, head of partnerships at Folks Finance. Uh, Benedetto will not be joining us today. I think he's at a conference um, in India, the Algorand Impact Summit. So it might be a bit difficult for him to call. So just going to be me and James today uh, shooting the shooting the soda cans. Uh, so James, how are you, man? And thanks for coming through. I'm good, man. It's uh, it's it's been a good time, you know. It seems like the industry is starting to look up. The winds are shifting. Uh, things are looking nice and sunny um, right now. Um, and so, you know, for us that have kind of gone through the winter, it seems like you know the the seasons are changing. And uh, I think that's good enough for anyone out here to be pretty happy and to be happy to look at the way things are. Yeah, definitely. Um, momentum is becoming more positive, and uh, that is reflected in uh, the prices of assets largely. And I think that has a huge effect on the mood of the industry. Um, why? Why do you think uh, the mood is changed, or why do you think the sentiment is changing? Maybe at a, a layer level, or sorry, um, a, a layer below the just prices going up you know what do you think may be uh, a hidden catalyst for for maybe that positive action or a positive shift in attitude across the industry that i think everyone involved has felt yeah i'm not sure actually i'm kind of trying to pin it down on something i guess um you know that the fears of a elongated and particularly cold recession haven't really quite eventuated it, it might be that we have achieved this miraculous um soft landing that they kind of talk about um and i think there's a lot of people that have had their uh, their assets on the sideline waiting to figure out um when to deploy them again and where to deploy them again um and i think there's just a lot of people kind of been holding their breath some time um waiting for some simple things to happen you know and you know there's been some issues this past year i think 2023 has been a pretty interesting year you know we've had uh, a few wars conflicts you know that kind of stuff um but you know it's just kind of dragging on i think people are kind of looking for something more and that might be one of the catalysts to kind of see a recovery um in the markets these days what do you think the biggest uh event in crypto has been in 2023, just off the top of your head? I think the one last week, um, I think we can't underestimate the importance of the, the settlement or, um, you know, the particular case against Binance last week. Um, 
I think everyone kind of knew it was coming. And the fact that it happened and we've kind of all moved on from it has kind of given a lot of people kind of reassurance that finance wouldn't go the way of FTX or there wouldn't be some major cataclysmic event in the market. Like it happened and it happened in a very kind of almost boring way. Um, even though it was, it was a huge event where, you know, she's stepping down and, and Binance pleading kind of, um, or making a settlement deal with um, the US. It's kind of shown that, you know, if you deal with US dollar, you are kind of, you are not immune to the prosecution by the US authorities, regardless of where you operate or work um, anywhere in the world. Um, and it kind of reminds us, I guess, in the industry that, you know, you, you have to pay by the rules. Even if you're registered in some far-flung geography, um, you have to play by the rules. And I guess it's another, you know, someone told me, a wiser man than I uh, said to me that potentially we can look at this as like uh, the US clearing house of people they think have been a bit naughty. And uh, once they kind of clear house of all these shady um, people, they might start being more open to crypto, right? Um, they might start approving well, the SEC might start approving various um, ETFs and other, other things regarding crypto, and we might see a bit of a renaissance. So that might have also driven it a little bit. Yeah, blockchain, the blockchain industry in the United States right now is, it, it's on ice. Um, it's, that's the best way to put it, because it it's not been killed. Uh, it's pretty much been allowed to be the same as it's been um overall i haven't really noticed many changes but there there isn't uh any type of momentum to adopt there isn't any type of momentum to support or drive uh development and drive liquidity and drive money or investment into the system so it's just been frozen mm. for like two years um and i think that's radiated throughout the world as well because of some of these uh, big moments that, you know, many people anticipated would come at some point, uh, you know, excuse me, like Binance uh, being litigated uh, or settling for that. I think it's um it's a really interesting time. Well, let's get into that a little. Let's get into that later in the episode. I didn't even give you a chance. First, <laughs> please, James, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little about yourself and how you... um. How you got to this space today? You know, how'd you, how? What's your journey uh, as you started in blockchain, and then as the years have gone on? Yeah, um, no problem. We can shoot some cans later. Um, yeah, I'm gonna start. Um, yeah, now um, my name's James Betty. I worked for a uh, a project called Subquery. We're uh, um, a data index. Now, I'll kind of talk a bit more about that later. Um, I I'm from New Zealand originally, which might be why you. You know, I've got a wet accent, uh, but I live in Singapore at the moment. It's a bit of time zone-wise with the rest of the world. Um, I've been in crypto for a few years now. I think I first um, entered in the t 2018 um, as a developer for a kind of a decentralized messaging uh, team. And I've always been kind of interested for a long time um, in the space, just trying to look for the right way to get in. And I guess when I grew up in New Zealand and kind of my early career in New Zealand, it was kind of hard to jump into crypto because there was basically no one doing it um in new zealand so um we started up at subquery we started up um a couple of years back and since then it's been an absolute wild ride 
Um, and uh, yeah, as I think many teams in, in, in Web3 can attest to, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a thrilling kind of fast-paced, exhausting uh, process over the past few years. Um, but it's all part of the learning experience. It's all, all part of the fun. Yeah, um, definitely. Tell us about Subquery. Uh, tell the audience what you guys do over there, what you guys are trying to provide and build. Yeah, no problem. So um, essentially, we're a developer tool, and um, I try to make this as simple as possible uh, that people can understand. But um, we're a developer tool that most teams, including you know, folks, finance, um, use behind the scenes to power the applications. Now, there's a big challenge in Web3 and blockchain um, and building dApps on blockchains, especially decentralized applications. Uh, and that is around data. Now, if you characterize the biggest, most successful companies in Web2, the likes of Facebook, Google, um, Amazon, I think you can find common ground in all of those examples and many more in the way that they can process and manage vast amounts of data. Uh, managing huge amounts of data for machine learning, for data analytics, for customer sentiment analysis, all that kind of stuff. It's critical to growing a business. And it's, not, it's the same with Web3, or we believe it's the same with Web3, right? The success of applications in this space is distilling a vast amount of data that's stored on the blockchain into a excellent user interface that allows users to interact with, uh, engage with, participate in uh, what's happening on those blockchains, what's happening in Web3. And so there lies a problem, which is that Web3 in general and blockchain in general, they have long been developed and they're very kind of new technology, but they've been developed specifically to focus on consensus and uh, verification, you know, solving the double spend problem, for example. And uh, for a long time, data or the data availability problem has been a kind of an afterthought. Um, now, subquery is designed to kind of solve that. Um, think of it, for example, data on a blockchain is stored in a really horrible way. A horrible way when you're building a large-scale complex application. Um, let's say you're building a, um, a you know, a, a, a DeFi protocol where you want to list out a list of historic trades that any particular account has made. So um, it's a very simple example. You'd probably, any kind of exchange you've gone to would be able to show you the list of exchange, uh, trades you've made. Even folks finance would be able to show you this. Um, and uh, the problem is, Web2, you currently just ask the blockchain. Can you, you currently ask the blockchain, give me the last 10 transactions or trades that I've made. Because the data is not stored that way. Um, the data is stored over blocks. And so the only way, way, the only way that you can kind of get that information directly from a blockchain is by scanning back through each block sequentially. So it's kind of like asking a book, a paperback book, to give you the last 10 pages a specific character appeared on. It's very difficult. The only way you can do it is like scanning back through the pages or scanning back through the blocks. And yeah. so that is where indexes like subquery come in. Now, an other indexing process is a process by which a applicator or a bit of software scans a blockchain and extracts the information that you need or you want. In this case, it's you know trades by any account on this particular contract or this particular application and saves that information, saves that data in a more performant way. And uh, that's essentially what Subquery does in a nutshell. We're an open source data indexer that works across any blockchain, including Algorand, um, and saves that data in any way that you need. So if you're wanting to save historic trades, 
you could um, index anytime there's a trade with your smart contract or any kind of contract that your contract then creates. Um, I want to take that trade. I want to save, you know, who made it, the time it was happened, the block height it happened, the transaction ID, and the, the price and the details of that trade, of course, and save that in a more performant way. Um, and then your application on top of that can then query that. And you get a very um, easy API that your application can use and consume and that allows you to build large-scale, complex, fast, performant applications. And so what are some examples of uh, companies or groups that have used subquery in, in, in interesting ways that stick out to you? Yeah, so like there's many, right? Um, wallets use us, for example, to show a history of, of, of transfers you've made, for example. Um, you could look at NFT marketplaces would use us to um, show a list of all NFTs you own and, and historic sale prices of NFTs but also like the the you know the highest and lowest prices of NFTs that were sold in, in that collection or the current kind of floor of the collection um, you know even for example folks finance use us um, you guys use us um, I believe using a few things I think um, use us in the router to show historic metrics of you know transaction volumes yeah. per day, um, and I think you can go a little bit further into the actually specific um, details for each account. Um, so anything like a lot of people ask this question, which is like, what's a kind of good example of an application that uses subquery? And and really, that's just anything that needs data, which is basically everything. Everything does whether you're building an NFT marketplace or a wallet or a DeFi protocol. Um, or even just analyzing like transaction volumes on a, cha- on a chain. You know, if you're a data scientist, for example, researching some information, you can use subquery. You might use subquery, um, and it can certainly help you build and solve the problem that you need solved. Well, as as blockchain becomes adopted further, and I believe you and I probably share the same view that blockchain is on a path to mass adoption eventually um though the applications and the channels that it will get there through are still unclear but when mass adoption occurs and a a larger amount of applications and systems are being run with blockchain in the background the data that will be processed uh relevant to the blockchain will be you know orders of magnitude greater than it is right now exactly blockchain and you know there are a lot of blockchains. It's a very general question, but in general, do you think the that the leading uh, layer ones and layer twos of the day are prepared to handle that much data coming on chain a hundred times or a thousand times more data than it is today? No, I don't think blockchain like blockchains. And I think everyone in the past has kind of focused on transactions per second, right? It's like a vanity metric, and it's a really um, it's a really important one that we've kind of optimized for in the past few years. Everyone, you know, like I think it began with Solana kind of being very vocal about this. And even every new kind of, if you've got a new layer two or a Cosmos zone, um, they all talk about their TPS throughput. Um, but I don't know if TPS is the right metric. And I think a lot of blockchains are thinking about maximizing TPS and maximizing data that can be saved and transactions that can be put through. Um, we are in no way at capacity right now. Um, we reached capacity briefly in some moments um, back in the last deep by summer in Ethereum where the gas fees spiked. Uh, but since then, we've kind of massively expanded capacity. And, and I think 
it's gonna be a long time for them yeah and that was like three years ago as well yeah and and i guess what i'm coming to is that i think life's gonna shift towards more like well hang on we've boosted these tps figures we've, we've provided so much like extra block space like supply far outstrips demand right now um maybe the focus should be now on on bringing back that demand um so i don't have any fear right now but um that the block space is going to be a constraint here i have a fear that uh the applications that have been built on these things are going to have to scale their uses and i think there are other parts of the pipes that are a lot more constrictive to growth than block space right now than tps i would definitely agree i was just thinking about this last night uh talking to some friends i was like guys all the new chains that are launching are largely unneeded it, you know i think there's a ton of great technology out there that can suit almost any need for any type of application that someone can think of and driving down the throughput to minuscule levels is nice and it creates like a an acceleration effect but it doesn't bring people on no exactly right into the into the network yeah yeah and um like I, I think part of that is because you know like some there are some people in this industry that look at web3 as one of the fastest ways to a quick buck and um the easiest way to do that as a developer in this space i think still at this day is to hide out and launch a new chain and a year or two ago, this was a new Cosmos site. That was the kind of the, the the fancy thing at the time. Um, this year, it's been new layer tubes, um, either on like the OP stack or, or or just you know anything else, just white labeling something. Um, and I, I I agree, right? Like it's just it's people kind of just I think it's partly driven because it's the easiest way to to raise a ton of money and to have a liquidity event quite early. Um, but you're right. What we need as an industry next is not new chains, it's not new block space. It's applications that drive the demand. And that's one thing I like about folks finance is that you guys have really taken the approach of, you know, let's provide the tools and the knowledge and the information to really unlock and make DeFi available to the masses. You know, you focus as you had tools as well that, you know, obviously focused on high end expert traders that know everything about everything already and uh, live and breathe this stuff. But we also need to bring on more people. And we need a, um, one part, one concern I have, I guess, and I don't know if you share this, but like, you know, like there are people in the know in Web3 that have been here for years. And we had some expert knowledge that we don't realize is kind of the expert knowledge. Like, remember the last time you have a conversation with someone that has never been in Web3 and you try to explain some basic concepts to them. And they look at you like you're some alien speaking, some alien language. <laughs> yes. And there's this gulf, there's this divide kind of occurring and growing wider and wider as we, as we, as we go on. Um, that I'm worried is, is turning people away. Um, and that's, you know, one thing that folks, finance is doing well is, 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 is trying to bridge that or at least keeping that bridge open. I a hundred percent agree with that. I, uh, I actually made a joke tweet yesterday about like uh, Twitter, crypto Twitter people like finding it impossible to not use as many like high technology terms and like, you know, buzzwords in their 
posts as possible. Like it, I, I completely agree. I think, I think it's a, it might be a product of the bear market because in the bear market, all the casually interested people kind of dissipated and went and, you know, back into their lives and kind of dropped crypto. And now we might be starting to see those people come back. But in those two and a half years or so, the past two and a half years, those who were yeah. very, those who are very dedicated uh, remained and the terminology actually advanced like a lot during that time. There's a lot of new terms, a lot of new things to consider. And those people, those of us who stayed in the space and naturally learned all those new things are up to date with all, all those, uh, all that information. But then you try to explain that to somebody who is coming in and they don't know. And so I think there's almost like a unnecessary badge of pride that a lot of, uh, crypto people take by like, you know, trying to rattle off as many terms as possible in the shortest amount of time and make themselves seem smart. And it's like, you can have all that knowledge, but if you can't actually explain it to anybody, it's not useful. Mm. So that's a big thing for me is let's it's, it's cooler to, to make it understandable than to sound like a textbook and no one knows what you're talking about. And you're trying to explain these like high end concepts to newbies that, that newbies don't need to know about zero knowledge or, you know, God, I can't even think of any of the terms. There's just a million. If you go down to crypto Twitter, you'll find it instantly. But, um, they just want to have something that's cool to use. And it doesn't even need to have blockchain as the main selling point. That's another thing I think the industry needs to evolve into is that blockchain doesn't need to be the main selling point of mm-hmm. applications anymore. It should be a background thing that you can mention, but it should be just a, whatever you sell as the mass adoption app, whether it be a gaming play, a social play, a finance play, uh, an infrastructure play, it, it should be... First and foremost, the the focus should be at on the the utility of the tool, and not that this is blank with blockchain. James, did did we lose James? I've tried to watch today. Oh, okay. Uh, what, did, what was the last thing you heard? I lost you for a second, too. Hello? Sorry, audience. Technical difficulties. Hello? Uh, James, can you hear me? I can sometimes hear you. I'm going to, I'm going to leave and come right back. Hello, everybody. 
Hey, everybody, sorry for those technical difficulties. Just a minute, we're going to get James back in here and continue the conversation. Sorry about that, guys. Hey, hello. Yeah. Sorry about that, man. I think my Wi-Fi just died, and I was like in the cave in the house. So like, no, no problem. No yeah, problem. The server reception just took a while to kick in. Um, yeah, no, going back to where you were. Sorry. Um, you're absolutely right. It kind of, it almost where like, it's like imagining we're back in like early two thousands, and we're just we're just building like all the kind of protocols of the internet, you know, and the new internet, this big thing. There's a bunch of people selling some snake oil through like pets.com and raising a ton of money, but there's a bunch of us kind of building these kind of under the hood technical pieces, these building blocks of the future. And, um, you know, you'd turn people off if we do start talking around and turn, talking in just like acronyms, like, you know, bro, how's your tier list pro- protocols going? You know, I'm pretty sure that, um, our handshake's going to be way better than yours. You know, like that kind of like, it doesn't really solve anything. And I guess 20 years later, we look back and no one really cares about all the underlying things like internet you know obviously we know that internet run right. a bunch of libraries and and protocols and and um under the hood stuff but we don't really care about that no one no one sees that day to day like i've never really thought about um you know these basic building blocks and these libraries and these protocols and these and these you know um languages that that internet runs on all we care about is these applications that we use and the and the, the websites we visit and the you know the things that we do every day on top of it and so this focus needs to shift back from kind of bragging about you know technical improvements or um uses can use yeah definitely um do you remember back in the mid 2000s uh cell companies there were multiple cell companies verizon sprint at&t all competing for coverage, speed, uh, these various statistics. And then AT&T got an exclusivity deal for the iPhone. Mm. And it didn't matter at that point what AT&T's technical qualifications were. They had the killer app. So I think it's going to be a bigger flex for an L1 or an L2 to have a killer app than to say we're the fastest and we're the, you know, this and that. Uh, I think those things are just almost papering over the cracks because there is no killer application in blockchain yet. Not yet, no. Um, and, you know, we've seen a bunch of things kind of come through, right? We had the DeFi summer, we had a bunch of NFT stuff a while back. You know, we're kind of in a social five renaissance right now. Um, but you're right, there's been no killer app that kind of landed and uh, resonated with the average Joe yet. Um, what do you think is the most, in your opinion, the most likely category or vertical to be uh to to reach you know mass adoption first and you know i'll rattle off some for you of course there's DeFi, there's um classic nfts i'm call- classic nfts would be the nfts of 2020 and 2021 um pfps and the such gaming social 
real world assets and you might be able to think of some other ones. Mm. What do you think in these categories will be the first to reach uh, a million users or 10 million users? I think um, there's one thing that, uh, you know, Web3 has proven itself to be kind of superior to the normal world. Um, I think has only kind of really been right now um, around trading, really. Like DeFi is still the killer, the killer app. Um, and it, in a way, I, I believe strongly that Web3, like if you look five, if you think five years ago, um, before, I don't know if Robin Hood was around five years ago, but, you know, before COVID, like if you wanted to invest in the stock market, you know, you'd pay like a $30 or $20 brokerage fee every time you traded. You know, you, you traded on like data that was like 50 minutes old. You know, it was like you're going to do a few different securities. Unless you were willing to stump up like 50 grand for a Bloomberg terminal or um, get certified by one of like 20, you know, companies in the US to be able to trade certain commodities, you had no chance of, 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 of really kind of playing with the big guys. And the Web3, when it came out, people started trading on that. Um, it kind of, in a way, it, it unlocked the doors to everyone that, oh, why isn't this possible? In, in the normal world right now. Why, why can't I be like this? And I think um, th- this is kind of a great example which where Web3 has actually kind of led progress in the real world. And we saw that kind of explode with Robin Hood and uh, especially in COVID where everyone's kind of stuck at home and, well, you know, screw it. Let's, let's, let's see if we can um, tr- see what these these traders do um, and invest a ton of money into crypto, but also into the regular, you know, equities market. Um and so still, I think the killer app is democratizing access to investing and trading and, uh, you know, bringing those tools and showing the world that, you know, these average people at home can be just as sophisticated as, as people working on the Wall Street and should be able to, you know, make their own informed decisions about what they do. So you think the financial industry will be the first industry to integrate blockchain in a deeper way into their day to day I don't think they're going to be like they always are looking at I think the finance industry is always aware of, of, of um, blockchain and I think it's going to probably primarily occur in separation to the finance industry or like like alongside I don't think the finance like one of the like the the most kind of horrible, guilty, um, dirty secrets of the finance industry um, is that there's a huge number of, of systems of these big banks, these big insurers, um, these big financial institutions that are um, and processes that are running on like spreadsheets or old COBOL mainframes or really old program that programs that some 50 year old guy in the back office that people are hoping never, never dies. Um, can only read and manage. And so the inertia to change these systems is huge because they're just so risky, you know, to change. And they deal with so much transaction volume a day that in a way, I don't know if blockchain will replace them, like or like in place where they are, because I think that jumps is too big. Um, but I think there will be um, parallel uh platforms and applications that grow alongside the traditional finance industry, that will slowly take more market share from them. Uh, 
and hopefully we get more real world assets tokenized um, in parallel to unlock more of that real world uh, markets on the blockchain. Yeah, it, they develop it alongside, it kind of gets up to speed and then possibly there is a somewhat transition onto the DeFi infrastructure from some of those extremely antiquated systems that uh, traditional finance institutions run on. Yeah, those horrible mainframes and gobol machines and spreadsheets that run in the depths and the bowels of some big ugly corporation. Let's let's go back to SubQuery for a moment. You guys have something called the Kepler Network. Can you tell us a bit about that and what your work is on it? Yeah, so um, basically um, we have a strongly held view, right? Now, another dirty secret, I've just told you a dirty secret about the finance industry. Another dirty secret about the Web3 industry is all these decentralized applications that you use today, um, or a lot of them them actually, uh, still rely on some centralized components. Um, so for example, uh, if you're accessing a, an application, let's say, um, a, a browser extension wallet, um, it's very likely that that consumes an API or an RPC that is run by a centralized corporation. And, uh, they could be front running you, they could be controlling that. Um, and that's the same with indexes. A lot of the data, uh, data availability, a lot of the data sources and blockchain are run and provided by big centralized companies. And that's because it's kind of costly to do so. Um, it requires a skill, it's production infrastructure. So we've had a, had a strong view that we need to decentralize everything in Subquery. Like we need to, we need to work hard to provide a decentralized alternative. Because if you think you're, if, you know, if everyone thinks that they're using and, and interacting with a decentralized system, but it's kind of going through a middleman anyway, it kind of ruins the whole point of this, right? It kind of makes it all redundant. So Kepler mm. is our first step towards decentralization. And we launched it a few months ago. We've been testing it out slowly, make sure it's sustainable. Um, but essentially, we have taken SubQuery, which is the data indexing, um, and tried to decentralize it. So um, rather than one person running the indexer and one database sitting behind the scenes somewhere that's providing the, the data to your applications, Kepler is a decentralized, permissionless, and verifiable network where anyone can join. They can sign up as an indexer. They can take a project. So for example, some of the projects that folks find out, folks find out use, they can index that data. And then when you log in to your app, um, it will go off and it will find an indexer on the network and it will retrieve data from them. And the network deals with the rewards to indexer for doing that job, doing that work. It also deals with the verification that the index has done a good job. It makes sure that they are not malicious, or they're not providing false data. And it does all that silently and seamlessly in the background. So you as a user get a great experience where it loads perfectly fine and it loads faster than you probably it might be expected as a centralized application. But there is no centralized point of failure. There's no one body that could shut them all down because there are independent decentralized indexes running trustlessly around the world that are receiving rewards for running that project. So that's that's our goal of Kepler. So it's like a pre-mainnet. We're just putting the final touches on it and testing the final features before we launch uh, the mainnet early next year. And from there, we'll be away with uh, the subquery network. 
So it's not exactly a layer one or a layer two? No, we don't need to. It's an EVM um, application. Um, we just wrote an EVM because, you know, because that's kind of solidity is just an easy language. is lower risk for us at this stage. Um, and it can kind of run on any um, chain. At the moment, Kepler's run on Polygon. Um, but it supports projects in any network. We, at Subquery, we support over 115 different networks, including our brand. Um, any network that you build on, we basically support, and we support for indexing purposes. Um, but the network, the Kepler network, can support any projects from any different uh, chain that Subquery supports. Um, and it's just a it's just a contract. It's not it's just smart contracts that run us. Um, we don't need our own there one. In the future, maybe we do. Maybe we need the throughput or we need to be able to adjust the parameters. But I'm a big believer in starting small, starting with um, the minimal amount of work required because if you're trying to rebuild everything or rewrite everything or start from square one for everything, it's going to be a lot harder to do that. Um, a lot of us, a lot of people ask us, why don't you build your own chain? Uh, I was like, well, it may be popular to do that, but it makes no business sense to do so. Um, so yeah, we're just running on Polygon right now. It's kind of like an, an indexing, uh, indexing layer. Yeah. Indexing tool. Exactly. An indexing network. Yeah. It's running within the network. Indexing network. Very cool. Um, very, very cool. So, so you mentioned the layer twos again. Do you think every blockchain that's being launched will be able to find a niche or, or an audience to use them if even the biggest players are still trying to find their fit or are you worried about the state of the potential oversaturation of networks uh which may lead to a dramatic uh unwinding you know in a few years similar to how we saw a lot of nft projects and and tokens come out a few years ago and led to a, a large unwinding as well as a lot of centralized exchanges. What do you think about the, the, yeah, the product market fit of all these networks coming out? Do you think it's, yeah, it's probable that they find, they all find a home and they all find some way to stay alive? I, I think it's been a bias, right? I think you're kind of right in terms of there's a, there's, there is some saturation in market, um, your algorithm, for example, has put a lot of focus into high performance, but also um, bridging that 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 divide between uh, the real world and and the web three world. Um, Algorand, probably you know more than most chains, has done done a lot of work in in terms of you know their aspect. Um, and so I do think it's important that these chains find a niche. I'm um, I love seeing another new day where a new new you know DeFi focus high TPS layer two roll-up comes up, you know, it's like almost every day at this point. Um, and yes, there's some saturation at some point. Um, I think that happens in every market though. Every new emerging market, um, it's just simple economics, right? There is a bunch of providers at startup. Think back to like when, um, you know, um, scooters, you know, like electric scooters um, for like micro-mobility. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's like, there's so many scooters and they're listed everywhere. Everyone was like, got cheap cash, bought a ton of scooters, and chucked them down. And four or five years later, there's kind of only a couple left over and you've seen some consolidation in the market. And that will happen, I'm sure, in blockchain and Web3. No doubt about that. So I do think it's important that you either get to scale quickly or you find your niche. 
you mentioned um the speed at which you know new blockchains are launching which is faster than ever it seemed a few years ago that it was a big undertaking to launch a new blockchain and i'm sure it still is but one thing i've been thinking about lately is the acceleration factor of this industry right now because as it's still you know i would say blockchain 2.0 meaning uh smart contracts and more advanced applications beyond the the simple dis, uh, distributed ledger technology which kind of drove the industry for the first 10 years of its life we're at a point now where as the amount of developers increases as the amount of app published apps increases as the amount of hacks increases and in audits um the reliable smart contracts and the reliable tools are becoming clear and therefore developers are able to and projects are able to essentially drag and drop more and more aspects of crypto projects into their own projects so things that would have been a whole protocol before yeah. such as a dex are now sim simply just one small aspect of a larger DeFi protocol like on folks finance like uh uniswap was uh, was revolutionary when, when it came out and now if you you know if you launch a DeFi app it's not even that difficult to include a dex and mm. you can just you know use the api or the sdk from a different app or you can you can make your own with your own contracts there's a lot of evidence out there nft marketplaces as well there's a lot of tools you can consolidate them all together um but that's a great example of the maturity of this yeah go ahead right that, that that's that that that's the perfect case in point that proving that you know like this last bear market that we're just emerging out of right now you know the maybe the liquidity's left and and the retail investors have kind of moved on for a bit but people have continued building and we're starting to see the maturity come through where it is now far more easy to build on, on web3 on blockchain than it has ever been before and a part of that is the maturity of of the chains that were built and and stability of these part of that is the education of like how to be how to build in web3 you know we've been through a few different cycles of building applications we've seen some mistakes and pitfalls but a big part of that is the the modularization of this industry and it's the same that happened in the industry years ago. Right now, you and I would never imagine if we're building a, let's say we're building a, you know, a marketplace online, we'd never think about, you know, building a new credit card processing uh, service. You know, you do Stripe or, or PayPal. Um, you'd never think about building a marketplace even. You just use Shopify or something, you know? Like, there's all these building blocks that make life so easy. And we're hitting that way with Web3. It's the maturity of the industry coming through improving itself. And so maybe this next cycle, even though, yes, people are taking advantage of that by launching a new chain every every day or every week, and it's a bit kind of, you know, just cyclical at the moment in terms of everyone's carrying up new chains all the time. Um, we probably will start seeing that come downstream where people realize, well, hang on, there's enough change, there's enough block space, let's focus on the users. And it is hard. It's hard to do that. Um, you know, we both focus, uh, both of our project kind of focus on the end users. Uh, but it's what this industry will. Yeah, I definitely agree. The The building blocks are there to start bringing things together. It's exciting. Still, one major thing that needs to be addressed is the onboarding of new users, uh, especially in relations to 
potential decentralized ID solutions. Um, we need a way to bring users on chain without having to rely on web two standards like an email. Um, have, you know, what do you think about this issue? Do you think it's something that can be solved soon? Or do you think we're still a ways away from um, potentially bringing people into the blockchain space uh, as easy as getting a phone number, which is obviously mostly anonymous and pretty simple. Uh, yeah. Currently, the wallet, the wallet onboarding process is still way too much for 99% of people. And and it's the biggest barrier. I, I think if anything else, the wallet process, dealing with wallets and, and secrets and, and, you know, the keys is, that is still by far the hardest. And the, and the problem is real quick is that it's the biggest barrier and it's the first step. Yes. The biggest biggest barrier to enter the world of crypto and DeFi and blockchain is the first step. That is just like an obvious major issue, but just please go on. So I completely agree. And I think until we solve that, um, we're a long way away from everything. And there's a few different, like, I think there's like three different approaches people kind of looking at. One is um, just saying, no, it's a gate. If people can't pass this gate, they shouldn't be in Web3 and just kind of saying tough luck you know sort out learn how to do the wallet learn about it you know maybe buy a ledger or some kind of uh hardware wallet so you don't have to worry about this piece of paper with the you know mark um and good luck you know tough luck sort it out the second kind of aspect of people is the other the complete other side which is like you know kind of coinbase is kind of doing this for base which is like look people are just dealing with emails and passwords and and they don't really want to mess for everything else like the average user doesn't want to deal with anything more than that um so you know we're going to give every coinbase user a wallet address on the base network and uh they will be able to participate through you know the email and password will have custody of their, their secrets but obviously we'll have extremely hardened systems to kind of control that and we'll um manage that risk and that might then might you know like who knows that that People might think that's good enough, right? People might think that there are projects out there that devote their entire existence towards protecting and managing private keys, that that might be a trade that we make uh, in terms of onboarding the next so-called billion users. And then there's a third aspect, I guess, which is, uh, you know, Vitalik's going to talk about this bit, which is um, how do we allow people to, like, rely on different forms like multi-factor authentication so for example they can split up their their secrets and distribute it among their friends or trusted people so that if they lose a bit of paper um they can recover it or they might want to um be able to log on with various pieces of, of information um and and from these you know inputs you derive their secret and and they can get access to account so it's kind of like abstracting the secret um, into something that's more kind of real world. I don't know what's going to survive. I think it's really interesting to see what what path people take. I think it's going to be a mix of a few different options. Um, but I do, I, I yeah, it, I'm not sure. Um, it's a very interesting space, but you're absolutely right that it is the hardest barrier to entry and it's the first barrier to entry. It kind of sucks how, how, um, how much of a gate it is to many people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
like you said, some companies are trying to address this already. You mentioned base. I wanted to actually bring that up. What are your considerations and thoughts on these uh, pseudo centralized chains connected to a centralized exchange, but then they create a DeFi landscape, DeFi ecosystem, not just DeFi, of course, obviously the rest of whatever blockchain can build. There's also BNB chain. Um, there's Tron, which is now connected mm. to Wobi, I think. Uh, or, or is it, okay, yeah, Wobi. Um, okay, X has like a bunch of chains, one on Cosmos, I don't know you want to. Yep, okay, X, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, what do you think about these, these chains that are connected to centralized entities and then in general, the scale of decentralization in, in the blockchain industry, do you think everything needs to be a hundred percent decentralized or is there space for things that run on blockchain, but are completely centralized? Um, and where do those, those chains fall in that scale for you? I think it's a great target or an aim long-term to have everything decentralized but i think that's unwise and uh if you had this like a maxi stance you're gonna you're gonna get hit you know it's 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 a slow evolution it's a spectrum um it's a single point you know you do like most most large exchanges are launching their own network and you know you kind of wonder why why do they all feel the need to launch this pseudo kind of decentralized centralized varying degrees centralization controlled by the exchange network and you wonder you know maybe exchanges are realizing that you know mostly revenue comes from you know people trading fees of course but um we're now getting enough DeFi instruments um you know with the launch of uniswap and sushi shop like it's a lot cheaper just to go for a pool than go to an exchange a lot easier as well a lot faster um lower risk as well of course you have to put your 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 funds on a you know, not my, not my, not your kids, not your, not your funds. Um, and then exchanges were like, well, okay, well, you still cross chain stuff, you know, that still comes to us. If I want to move from Ethereum to Bitcoin, I still, the easiest way is go to an exchange. But now, nowadays it's starting to become a bit more easy to do in a decentralized way with bridges and, and, um, other kind of swap mechanisms as well. So maybe exchanges are looking and thinking, well, the one thing that we do have a moat on is the, the, the on-ramp and off-ramp to crypto and if if we focus on providing the first destination people get to when they onboard onto web3 and that first destination is our own network not ethereum not some other correctly decentralized network then we stand to gain a lot um, from that and i wonder if that's your motivation in terms of running all these kind of uh, networks side by side there their exchange it's not the exchange anymore it's the onboard and off, off ramp off ramp on ramp. yeah definitely the exchanges hold a huge amount of leverage because of that huge uh moat that they have um coinbase now it seems like is in a super strong position uh now with the recent binance news it seems like the you know the other two main players FTX and Binance have been hit. Um, where do you think Coinbase will end up in the next few years based on their uh, their consistency, I guess, in the terms of regulators and their uh, their ability to dodge the 
you know, accusations and allegations that may have come against them in the past two years. Yeah, it's interesting. Coinbase is one of the only ones that are really kind of, like FTX started trying to do this by playing, by Portrick Head with working regulators, but obviously we all know what happened with that. Um, uh, and it's kind of shocking what happened, but um, Coinbase is, is the one kind of standing that's really taken a, a regulated, regulation first starts. Um, I'm sure internally they they think like if they hadn't done this, if they'd incorporated in, in you know BVI or um, some other in- offshore place and that kind of not playing by the played by the same rules, they wouldn't have been hamstrung by you know slow regulation of the US. And they still are in a way sometimes that you know you can always sense the frustration from Brian about the pace of regulation in the US. Um. I don't know if that will hurt or hinder them. You know, if, if, if the tide changes and the US changes their approach around regulating uh, Web3, Coinbase will probably be the first ones to benefit most from that. Yeah, I definitely think they're they're currently just the far and ahead leader simply by process of elimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're almost to the end. I, I want to invite anybody up. If they want to be a speaker, please request... Um, but is there anything else you want to leave us with? Anything that we didn't touch upon that you were hoping to talk about today? No, no. I think we had a pretty wide-ranging conversation at Grand Journal. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, guys, check out SubQuery. If you're a developer, you're definitely going to want to check out their indexing tools. Check out the Kepler network as well. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, keep up with James. Keep up with what they're building over there. Follow Folks Finance. Keep up with what we're building. Um, we, yeah, we made the announcement yesterday on our forum that we will be listing, uh, meld gold and meld silver. And actually these will be the first real world asset, uh, collaterals on Algorand. So it's for the first time ever, you can take a loan using a non crypto asset. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, really excited about that low key underrated, uh, development, I just wanted to to pump that to the audience real quick. Is there anything you want to pump to the audience before we go? Uh, no, we have some announcements coming out tomorrow. Um, so follow our Twitter to kind of cover that. Um, there's a bunch of stuff coming out next week as well. Because in the year, I thought things be kind of calmer and quieter towards the end of the year. You know, Christmas is coming, but it's kind of been the opposite for us at Subquery, which is um, which is kind of it always seems to be that way, unfortunately. Um, but hey, it's pretty cool that you've been listing um, all these real world assets and also allowing people to collateralize uh, and take collateral against them. That's kind of, as I said, right? It's just melding the two different worlds together. Melding, pun intended, uh, as the company who's created those assets is meld gold. Um, thank you, James, so much for coming on today uh really enjoyed having you here hope to have you back again um come back when you have a when you have a big announcement we'll bring you back on if you want to listen to old episodes of folks and friends uh check out our youtube channel spotify apple music amazon google play i think we have all the episodes there also check out folks academy if you want to learn more about uh how to use folks finance or blockchain in general Obviously, again, follow Subquery on Twitter. Make sure you're keeping up with their updates. Follow Folks Finance. And um, thank you, everybody, for being in this space. Thank you, James, once again. Uh, And have a good night, man. 
we will see you all on the next episode.